and welcome to Night Clerk Radio, Haunted Music Reviews. I'm Burke, and with me is my friend Ross. Hello. Hey, Ross, how you doing? I'm very excited about this episode. Yeah. This is more than just Vaporwave on this podcast, and so now we're exploring the darkest realms of music with dark yeah. ambient and dark jazz. Yeah, and dark dark ambient is really, I think we've talked about this a little bit last episode, but is really one of the pillar genres of this podcast, mm-hmm. these discussions and what we want to do. It really is literally, uh, I'll let you talk about it in more detail, but it really is sort of the haunted and haunted music reviews, right? Like this is yeah. really what we wanted to do most of all. So this is really exciting. Yeah. We've already talked about Vaporwave and I've explained why Vaporwave is haunted or we've explored uh mm-hmm vaporwave being haunted because that's about being haunted by a recent past and the futures that never came but dark ambient is haunted because it pulls us into a subtly horrifying realm mm-hmm. i i see it as kind of a form of catharsis it's for late night walks study sessions and all the quiet nights we experience because you're putting yourself through a journey into some dark place it's a very environmental based music a lot of the best albums for dark ambient are very much themed on a type of place whether it's like a ruined castle a derelict spaceship temples to forgotten gods or post-apocalyptic wasteland lands it's very thematic in that idea and it's also connected to vaporwave because dark ambient is i mean a lot of people consider it adjacent to industrial and metal but it's far slower more contemplative you know part nine inch nails and part brian eno because mm-hmm. Brian Eno is obviously, you know, the the god of ambient. Absolutely. And Brian Eno connects us to Windows XP startup sounds, which connects us to Vaporwave. So, you know, there's your six degrees to Vaporwave link for uh, dark <laughs> ambient. But yeah, it's it's all about being in a different place. And this place is not a good place. It's a horrifying place. It's often compared to horror movie soundtracks. And a lot of horror movie soundtracks could qualify for dark ambient, at least part of the uh, the titles. I mean, obviously, the music for the scene where the monster kills people is very loud and would not qualify. But the scenes where the protagonists are exploring Silent Hill or mm-hmm nightmarish place they're they're traveling that would be the music that to accompany it yeah for for me it's almost any ambient background like instrumental piece i i guess it doesn't have to be instrumental but that's usually what i listen to that just creates that sense of foreboding dread Mm -hmm. so it doesn't have to be dark in terms of like timbre or or musical composition because i actually think a lot of we can get into this a little bit more later, but a lot of like Twin Peaks soundtrack is dark ambient because you know Twin Peaks is like uh, spoilers, the super fucked up town, but <laughs> um, you've never seen the 30 year old show. Yeah. But the music is like because it's also mocking soap operas, a lot of the music is like a little more coy and like mm-hmm. playful, but that juxtaposed against the reality of the town that you know is mm-hmm. dark to me. It's it's dreadful. Yeah, the 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 facade of normality exactly hides the evil within. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean that's the thing. It's like going to some nightmarish realm, even whether it's Twin Peaks, you know, going what's behind the door, or the some fantastical realm like the Plateau of Ling. You know, that sounds terrifying, but it's soothing in a way, even as it creates dread. Yeah, we're still we're at least escaping from mundane reality. I mean, Twin Peaks may be a small town, but it, at least it's interesting. I mean, you may end up getting murdered or horrified by what you find out there, but it's an escape from <laughs> dealing with day-to-day life. 
small price to pay to get out of the suburbs. You get haunted by a evil demon. Mm-hmm. Both the albums uh, we're going to be reviewing are connected to a record label that we're going to be exploring a lot in future episodes, Cryo Chamber. And there's an article, uh, well, an interview with the record label owner, who's also an artist, Simon Heath or Atrium Carceri, as his mm-hmm. uh, performing name is. The interviewer brings up this really interesting comment. An insightful commenter on one of your YouTube videos made a point about the appeal of dark ambient music. In that dark place, happy music only reminds you of what you don't have, making you even lonelier. Music like this, it's like having someone there, someone who isn't trying to perk you up, someone who just listens. That describes this channel to perfection. I kind of like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, so definitely check the show notes for that interview. It's really interesting. Yeah, he gets into a a lot of the business of it and why Cryo Chamber, he's specifically coining the sort of new term cinematic dark ambient, which I mean, to be fair, I'm, I'm more familiar with his record label stuff than other dark. In fact, I'm going to have to make an effort to go out of cryo chambers, very extensive catalog to find other dark ambient artists. But it's a very common, as I was reading the show notes for this, I was like, wait, so all this I'm describing seems to be just what cryo chambers doing, like going to a fantastical places. It's very environmental, but do other dark ambient artists do that? And so I looked around and it seems a, a lot of them do that. Like, Oh, you're in a forgotten spaceship. That's now a temple to the gods of chaos or something. And so it's very common, but yeah, that's something we're going to have to explore in future episodes. That's sort of interesting. Cause as a, a contrast to vaporwave cryo chamber strikes me i don't know maybe there's not really an analog in vaporwave of a huge record label that's always advertising what it's doing because mm-hmm. cryo chamber is like very active on youtube they're always filling up mm-hmm. my sub list of, of songs and samples and here's new albums and new artists mm-hmm. and there's not really a vaporwave equivalent vaporwave artists are very like maybe if you stumble across my stuff that's great but i'm not going to tell you who i am mm-hmm. and most it's like pay what you want yeah it's just an interesting contrast i think in culture yeah that that is that is a good point i mean i think part of it is vaporwave is very much about being anonymous on the internet and yeah. so i mean that's starting to change uh as we're beginning to see like vaporwave music shows and touring artists uh who are you know using their real names or mm-hmm. allow people to interview them and photograph them and whatnot although you have people like telepath which are doing the daft punk thing of only performing in costume with a, a complete mask so we don't know what telepath looks like yeah well i think one thing is dark ambient has been around for decades longer like it's been around you could trace it all the way back to the 1980s um, at the least if you're talking about that as a self-described uh, genre so I think the artists, and again, are more connected to industrial and, you know, the metal scenes. Mm-hmm. So they're, maybe they're more in a quote-unquote traditional business model. Like, I mean, that's the other thing is like vaporwave artists don't really have a business model at all. It's not, they're just making art yeah. that is obviously sampling a lot of stuff that they can't get rights to. So that also encourages them to be anonymous on the internet. <laughs> that is a really good point. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Dark Ambient doesn't really have to worry so much about sampling because it's, they don't really, uh, it's a very different experience uh, listening to Dark Ambient. Yes. Yeah. So why don't we get into these albums and we'll be right back.
So our first album tonight is Miles to Midnight by Atrium Carceri, City's Last Broadcast, and God Body Disconnect. Uh, it was released last year and is a cl- obviously a collaborative album between those are three separate artists and Atrium Carceri's, of course, uh, Simon Heath, the, the man who runs Cryo Chamber, and then City's Last Broadcast and God Body Disconnect are two artists on his label. This is a dark jazz album. And dark jazz is, like Vaporwave, there are subgenres of dark ambient. And dark jazz is considered probably the most prominent uh, subgenre of dark ambient. Uh, it's mm-hmm. some, you might consider it a separate genre entirely. I guess it's like the lounge music as you're waiting in purgatory, waiting to either <laughs> go into hell or heaven. Or, you know, the it's very Twin Peaks is uh, cited as sort of a prominent inspiration or the sound of Twin Peaks is, uh, yeah. is, is a major inspiration for dark jazz. It's basically jazz, but darker. Mm. So Miles to Midnight is also a concept album about a haunted hotel. So obviously for me, because I am writing a role-playing game about a haunted hotel, (laughs) more or less. True. I was very interested in this. Yeah. In this haunted hotel, private detective goes back to figure out one last case. And the album art for it is, of course, very evocative of this, you know, towering building in the mist. And a single man standing in front of it. So the the first sample that we listened to was Miles to Midnight, the title track Mm -hmm. uh, of the album. And obviously this is a, well, for me, I love this album. I have listened to this dozens of times. Uh, I actually bought it before the podcast was even launched. Mm -hmm. I cannot get enough of it. So I'll probably be listening to it two years to come. It is. (laughs) It gives this feeling of. It just gives a very noir feeling, I guess. Yeah. The way I want to describe it, because it's like a haunted noir movie. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a hybrid between horror and film noir. And so you have these musical lead motifs of that are are reminiscent of jazz, especially the noir one, you know, with the the slow drums, uh, with the brush drums and Mm -hmm. towards the beginning. But this album is all, of course, all about the journey. And they do some interesting things in terms of like going from dark jazz at the very beginning and that how the music changes track by track. Uh, and if you look at the track titles, uh, you can see that it sort of matches this detective's journey through the hotel itself. And the music sort of evolves or metamorphosizes into dark ambient. Overall, I loved it. Uh, we'll talk about specific tracks in a second. But Burke, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I will first say that I'm not surprised. I, I like this album a lot, too, but I'm not surprised you do. I think as people get to know you over the, the course of this podcast, they will look back on this as one of the most on-brand albums <laughs> that we've done for you. Um, yep. Yeah, so I have a lot of thoughts about this album we can work through. So the first thing is I do not listen to as much dark ambient and dark jazz as you do, so I had not really listened to this. So the first thing that surprised me was how not ambient it was, because when I think of ambient, the kind of ambient I listen to is like the most structured is probably like Boards of Canada. Mm-hmm. And then it goes all the way down to Stars of the Lid, where it's like a 15 minute song and they change notes maybe four <laughs> or five times over yeah. that, that song. So it was really nice to hear, especially after listening to so much Vaporwave and, and Synthwave, to hear actual instrumentation actual compositions that was super refreshing it was um really cool to hear actual drums not sample drums like this is clearly a person at a kit playing both because the brush stuff that you're talking about is 
very hard to do in samples. And then there's just a lot of what's called comping, where you kind of just lightly fill in space over mm-hmm. some like jazz ostinato. And um, that's also very hard to make feel real authentic with samples. So there's there's no replacement for human musicians as much as I love uh, Vaporwave. I mean, sampling is a different, yeah, is, is going to be different than the, the actual thing and they can't replicate and they shouldn't. No. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's a valid choice to sample, but it's not the same as using the real thing. Exactly. I have I have nothing against sampling. We'll we'll talk about the importance of sampling probably in a few episodes. But um, <laughs> yeah. it's just was uh, really refreshing. Mm-hmm. And then my second thought was listening to the album is I love the progression of a concept and getting that concept across entirely just through instrumentation because a lot of concept albums are. Like rock albums, they have lyrics and Mm -hmm. there's something to interpret. And this sort of has to tell its story through the kinds of songs they write. Mm -hmm. So it has that come into the lobby. Here's your lobby music. We got some gentle drums and some nice, dark, creepy, but still jazz, still music. Yeah, it's foreshadowing what's Mm -hmm. to come, you know, but like it's the 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 veil of mundane reality hinting at something more uh yeah i mean the miles of midnight opens up with this sort of rumbling audio soundscape and then it gradually transitions into the jazz music mm-hmm. it it kind of builds up for release for the horn yeah it's it's very slow but it kind of unrelenting you know it's yeah. it's building up this kind of pressure it's going to get released it's going to be the sort of disintegration of this poor detective he is not having a good time <laughs> you can tell <laughs> he is not going to have a happy ending in this uh no. story talking about other ambient you know uh, obviously boards of canada was another major thing of my taste for music yeah a lot of ambient that i've listened to like cryo chamber i think is one of the reasons why i like dark ambient sort of at all because a lot of ambient, especially dark ambient, gets too... I don't like drone. Like, if it's too similar and too consistent, there has to be enough for it to be interesting, but not so much that it overwhelms me. And drone, if it's too similar, if it's too consistent, I just I begin to notice it more, and I, I don't mm. like that. But as we move on into like these early tracks, the A side of the album, uh, like A Thousand Empty Rooms, you get this white noise, the piano. It's very languid, dripping with atmosphere. Notes are lingering for a long time. I really like that. And it's really sort of once we get to the scene of the crime that things begin to transition to the second half of the album with the, like there's more like field recording or sound effects that they use of the, the sort of hints of broken broken and whining, rusting machinery, metal scraping, a bit of guitar, I think, in Mm -hmm. uh, Scene of the Crime, and then some clanging pipes. I like that uh, the further we get in the album, the more field recordings and sound effects come in. Yeah. One thing that's also interesting that I thought about the album, in a way, is that the this music aspect of it, like they introduce more field recording, but the music aspect of it also feels like it shifts from, uh, if you want to talk about it in terms of film soundtrack from like a diegetic, like you can imagine walking mm-hmm. into a creepy lobby and hearing this creepy lobby music. And it'd be weird for a hotel to play that, but it's believable. Mm-hmm. But later when there are field recordings, the actual music composition side of it feels then more like a soundtrack. Like it's more coming from outside of the experience Mm -hmm. and kind of enclosing it. And I think that's sort of an interesting move to make things feel more dreadful because you're moving out of reality into this world where there's creepy noises emanating from outside of it. Yeah, exactly. It's all about this transition. You know, we established this one set of motifs. We established this one style of music. And now we're going to change everything up. Everything's we're going to pull the rug from underneath you. 
Mm-hmm. You know, we get to floor six, please, which is, you know, the, the the middle of the album. There's a lot of rumbling of machinery, obviously evoking, you know, an elevator quite literally. And we have these lovely chimes and the drums are back for a little bit with a bit of piano. Then we get to the other lobby and that's where we get to the ambient side of the album because there's a lot of field recordings in this. There's sort of whirring, uh, wobbly electronic noise and vinyl scratches. The other lobby is very otherworldly. Mm-hmm. ties into hauntology because we're getting vinyl you know the, the these scratches and these the sound of broken recordings you know broken sound and as obviously the detective is in the broken version of reality you know whether he's in hell or silent hill or wherever it's not the good version of the hotel if you thought it was bad now <laughs> this is the bad place mm-hmm. but yeah i think our next sample is actually coming from the track after that sorry sir you were in the wrong room which i think is the darkest track on this album there's a very dissonant piano it's very foreboding This, this is about detective he, he's getting it's about the anticipation of what the detective is finding it's not the actual you know the discovery itself it's dreading what is to come and i like this feeling of tension and anticipation that you get in this yeah room. after we get done with sorry sir you're in our room the sleep ensemble is really the most otherworldly one because we get this kind of foghorn sound you know, it's almost like, you know, he's out at sea and looking through the fog. And what is the sleep ensemble? What does that mean? Like, what what could possibly be hiding in this other world? Yeah, Burke, what are your thoughts on this, this second part of the album? I think in some ways I like the second part more. I think it's more what I want out of, like, creepy ambient music. Because mm-hmm. it gets much more into these dreadful ambient sounds. Mm-hmm. So if we talk about the whole second half, what's interesting to me also is that when you get to the end, it almost has another tone shift and goes back to being more traditional music, mm-hmm. like dark jazz. The Are you talking about the last track? Yeah, Quiet Days on Earth, the mm-hmm. very last track. It mm-hmm. goes back to, it almost feels like end credits music. Yeah, it's gone full circle. Yeah. They establish this first set of motifs, and then they do the second half of the motifs. And this is the synthesis of both halves of the album we've come to full circle the detectives back in reality but can he ever be the same now that he's seen the sleep ensemble like yes because you get like now he's literally haunted because we have these weird vocals in the last two minutes this warbling voice like uh you know a torch singer but like you know a torch singer of the damned or something (laughs) and you know maybe he's just having a drink at this and the the music that was in the lobby is just this horrible lounge act and now this torch singer is just warbling and he's trying to drink to forget on these quiet days on earth yeah it brings it all back together and i really like that it gives the album a sense of completion you know you've done it you made it through yeah 
but it almost loops back around. So one thing mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you is that sometimes we talk about you're more likely to listen to albums on loop for extended periods of time, I think, than I am. Yeah, I don't do it all the time, but I, I have done it to like see how much I like an album. Like, how long can I listen to it? Yeah. Interesting. How does this one, does that transition through like noir, dark jazz to like really dark ambient, almost near drone, back to dark jazz? And then the album starting over, does that work for you? Or does it the story, does the fact that it has like this story narrative to it kind of make that more difficult than say a vaporwave album? Yeah, that's a little more difficult. Okay. It's a pretty noticeable journey for me. Okay. I do like to put it on mixes and I will come back to it frequently. Like I will listen to this, then listen to some other dark ambient and come back to it. Yeah. You know, lo-fi music, I could do that. Lo-fi hip hop, you know, 24-7. Sure. I could put the same mix on that forever and like never notice it. Absolutely. There's one person on YouTube who makes mixes and his mixes are like, oh, it's an hour long, but it's really a 30 minute mix. And then you just like, (laughs) he just repeats it. He doubles it every time. And I didn't notice it for the longest time. And like, wait a minute, this is the same exact same track. It took me like days of me listening to this person's tracks to like notice that. That's pretty funny. I would definitely notice it because that warbling voice alone, like it really calls out. There's some really unique moments in this album. Yeah. The opening track, um, especially that opening beginning from the environmental noise to the jazz music. Mm -hmm. There's a lot. And then again, that's sort of like the other lobby when you have this break. It almost doesn't sound like music at all. Like it's almost entirely just field recording. Obviously, I really like that. Yeah. I mean, overall, I think this album is about mystery and futility. You know, uh, Cosmic Revelation doesn't change everything. Doesn't change anything. As we go mm-hmm. from the sleep, you know, we go from the, the cosmic horror of the sleep and stuff, whatever the detective was trying to learn, he learned. But then he but goes back to the quiet days on Earth, and it's only a little different. All that pain and misery that you suffer through doesn't mean anything. You're, we're still stuck in the bar. It's like uh, you've changed, but the world hasn't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's what I really like about it. That's interesting. That sort of makes sense, because that's how I felt, because this final track has such a sense of finality to it. Yeah. That. Uh, I didn't imagine it looping around very well. Mm-hmm. Dark Army is not a, a genre. I can really listen to the exact same track over and over. Yeah. Fortunately, there's so much out there. You never hear the same thing twice. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend this album. I think it's worth listening to, worth buying, help support the artists. Absolutely. I also really like this album. I would suggest uh, anyone give it a listen. All right. So let's move on to our next album. That was a little bit from the track Little Apocrypha off this album that we're doing, Solaris, by Flowers for Body Snatchers, who is a cryo chamber artist, but this exact album was not released on cryo chamber. Mm-hmm. So this album, as the title suggests, was based off the 1961 book Solaris. I think it's really interesting that they explicitly 
state that the inspiration is the book and not any of the three other adaptations that it's had for i thought there were only i only know of two the the original russian one and then the yeah there's like a third one that was like made for tv in russia Uh, okay that i think did not uh really go as well Mm mm-hmm 68, 72, and 2000. So the reason that the book aspect is interesting to me is because the author um, has talked a lot about how any of the screen adaptations have failed to really capture what he wanted the book to be about. And he didn't really like any of them. Part of that, I think, is probably just protective of his work. Mm -hmm. But apparently, even like English translations of the book, he claimed don't really work for him. I guess there's a lot of like Polish idioms and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I think it's interesting that that was the specific inspiration. I don't know. I don't know enough about Solaris to know if that really affected my interpretation of this album. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting. So this album is basically also a concept album following roughly the story of the book of somebody going to a space station around the planet Solaris and then dealing with their own philosophical demons and sense of identity and how really the book was largely about how human beings have trouble understanding and interpreting intelligence that's not in a humanoid shape. That was like mm-hmm. the ultimate message of the book. So consequently, I think that sort of comes across in the music where it's very amusical, like very arrhythmic and atonal mm-hmm. and um, somewhat hard to comprehend, which I actually really, really like. What did you think about this album? I I did like this album. I, I actually am curious how how long ago how long have you known about this album? Like, uh, if this is something you found on your own for this podcast, or was this just one of your favorite albums already? No, I just I do not know much about Dark Ambient, so mm-hmm. I was literally just digging around Bandcamp, and <laughs> right. I saw the title. I was like, "Hey, that's a thing I know. I'm basic. <laughs> I'm gonna go for the thing I know." Okay, because I. I I do like the original Russian Slars. Mm-hmm. So I was like, hey, I see the title. Let's give it a shot. Yeah, I quite enjoyed it. This is probably not one I'm going to be listening to as much as Miles to Midnight. It's it's a little more, it's definitely more challenging to listen to. It's more, it demands more of your attention. There are some very sharp contrasts in the novel uh, between tracks. I mean, it, it goes, it's pretty wild in places in terms of yeah. the range of kind of uh, the soundscape you, you were subjected to in this. But it's definitely rewarding for me. What I like about this album is that it reminds me a lot of this older generation of science fiction movie soundtrack going back to the Forbidden Planet original soundtrack, you know, like in in the 1950s and uh, the original Solaris uh, soundtrack, too, which makes classical music and synthesizer because the original Forbidden Planet soundtrack wasn't even allowed to be released as an album of music. They had to call electronic tonalities. And it was excluded from the Academy Awards when it was released because it was all made with electronic instruments. It was not made with like anything. And so that was just super controversial to have something made with machines. Oh, no. Yeah. And and it was made in this sort of Cold War era where after World War Two or, you know, when nuclear weapons were, you know, announced, there is this whole idea of like maybe science isn't so great and maybe there's bad side, you know, downside to it. But there's also throughout the 20th century, you have all these artists who are trying to break free from t- tradition. You know, you have paintings, who have painters who have uh, abstract expressionism, uh, mm-hmm. humanism, you know, architecture had brutalism and postmodernism and you're just trying to like kill the past and just like start new and stop being stifled and so this happened with music obviously with electronic instruments and synthesizers they found a a space a niche in sci-fi music uh, and sci-fi movies Mm -hmm. this is kind of i see this album as a 
contemporary continuation of that conversation about science fiction of using synthesizers and electronic instruments to create new types of sound that were totally unknown before. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe science isn't the answer to everything. You know, nuclear war will literally kill us and industrial civilization will alienate us. How dare you? Yeah. How dare I not be it? Yeah. Sorry. Science is great. No, no problems there. (laughs) Um, This is just a downer. Mm-hmm. Solaris still speaks to us because it's still relevant, you know, like, oh, yeah, because a lot of the subtext is not just that we can't understand an alien. We can't understand each other. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or or ourselves, you know, the Cold War is over, but we're still in the break of extinction. We're still being alienated by our own technology. And so this is still speaking to like, yeah, no, we haven't ended history. We haven't ended any of this. It's all going on. And we're all just dealing with some shit. <laughs> Everyone yeah. dealing with some shit. Ross. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this album is relevant because of that. Like it's still speaking to this profound weirdness that we experience through science and sci- science fiction is a way to express that. Yeah, I, I agree uh, completely. I think this album is a reflection of existence. Makes sense especially in 2019 when we're recording this, Mm -hmm. because I don't know this album. I like it. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm glad I picked it, but it is a harrowing listen. Mm -hmm. Parts of it are just hard to make it through. Yeah. Because it's very abrasive. Yeah. Abrasive is a really good word for it. Purposefully. And it's well done, right? So like you can be abrasive for the sake of being abrasive and be unlistenable. I don't think Mm -hmm. this is unlistenable. No, I think it's because there's like a pacing to the album. It doesn't quite move in a, a clear arc like mm-hmm. Miles to Midnight, but it mm-hmm. does have have shifts in tone. So there are tracks that do sound like traditional film tracks, I would say, mm-hmm. in that they have actual instrumentation. They sound like a song. Yeah. There's some orchestral elements, you know, there's some. Yeah, uh, like really lush strings and stuff that come through and are are really nice to listen to. Mm -hmm. There's other tracks that are just this barrage of of droning and beeping and these synths with like really dark patches. Mm -hmm. It's honestly amazing. Like those are actually probably some of my favorite tracks and there are a few that like blend both of those elements but i i really like the abrasive ones i think yeah. partially to uh mention him again is because they do feel very lynchian mm-hmm. especially with all the science sound effects because he was really into that so if you watch the best thing you can do actually is watch eraser head on a good sound system or like with headphones because the sound design of that movie is ridiculous. It's got so much just like electrical, like buzzing and zapping and it's like panning around you and it's just all over the place. And I really, really like that. Yeah. Panning. I mean, that's another thing that they do a lot on this album is kind of a lot of sort of stereo effects to sort of give you a sense of space. I mean, yeah, I think a lot of the, the, the tracks on this are sort of evocative of like scientific instrumentation. You know, mm-hmm. like sonar, beacon sounds, you know, uh, it's it's like a bunch of machines working to analyze the alien planet Solaris. Yeah. Or uh, things of that nature. Same along those lines is I think the most for me haunting of those machine sounds is just that low electric hum of just being around a large power source. I don't know if anybody's ever done that, but um, if you walk by like a power station, you know, like a, uh, you know, like yeah. a substation. Yeah. Yeah. Or anywhere in like an industrial building. It's so it can be so loud and so low frequency that you like really feel it in your body. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what this album hits sometimes. Mm-hmm. You also get like, I mean, some things that I like when I was listening to this, I took notes like one of the tracks, monophonic conversation reminded me of whale song. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's intentional. So like there's a there's a biological component to this 
Yeah, it is. It is a very organic being, and it is technically like an ocean. Also, it's I haven't read the novel, so I just I've only seen the Kennedy movie. (laughs) So, yeah, I didn't even see the good movie version of it, quote unquote. But yeah, you you get this wild contrast in tracks and, you know, some of them are abrasive and some of them are very like almost seductive in like their lushness and they're like, ah, this is this is this is great. This would be perfect for, you know, a movie soundtrack or something, because, again, we keep going back to movie soundtracks, but these albums are both very deliberately cinematic. You know, Miles is a conceptual movie that doesn't exist, but could. And this Mm -hmm. is literally a novel that was turned into a movie several times. It's okay to like a track and not want to listen to it a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So let's give people an example of what we're talking about. So here's a sample of something I would call more abrasive. was a little sample from the second track on this album strange objects this is sort of towards the middle i think this really highlights the industrial sounds and this track specifically is interesting because it combines both a little bit of that classic lush instrumentation that makes it feel like a soundtrack and then all of a sudden through the middle that sort of erodes away into this sort of horrific mechanical electronic landscape. Yeah, I mean, even by this track, this album's already thrown you for several loops. And so you hear this, you may want to turn it off, but you're like, what's going to happen next? Yeah, it's intriguing because there's enough variety that you're, hmm, I want to listen to see what happens next. That's a really good way of putting it. In this During this whole album, I was almost like, Oh, what what are they going to do next? Like, mm-hmm. because it doesn't have, like I said, that story arc, like Miles to Midnight. You don't have any idea what's going to happen. And through the use of that stereo effects you're talking about, you don't even know where the sound's going to come from next, necessarily. Mm-hmm. So if you're mm-hmm. just sitting there with headphones, it's like very tense of, of where you're going to be taken. Mm-hmm. I mean, you get other, like later on, you get like little apocrypha. You get these lovely chimes. Uh, that I quite enjoy. And I mean, you can sense sort of a storyline implicit in some of them. Like I think in Dominion, there's a, a, definitely a sense of conflict in there, like a battle of wills between two figures. I find it quite interesting. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, for me, I think the reason why I really like this album is because of the last track. And it's interesting yeah. that both these albums, the last track are like just excellent in pieces because the last track is called Terminal Man. It starts out with these sort of sweeping strings versus a rumbling synth. And then we get a couple minutes in and then there's this guitar that kicks in contrasting with this these synth sounds and the guitar it's not it's not quite right it's a it's very dissonant but it's gaining intensity it's kind of broken but it's still dragging itself on and for me it's just like i don't know something about it just made me like yeah (laughs) i get this image of a terminal man someone who is 
you know, terminal, but is refusing to give up and struggling through to the end. And um, I mean, this whole album was worth it just for that part because it is it's quite moving. It's quite passionate. Yeah, I cannot get enough of that. But if you did a whole album like that, that would get boring. You need this whole album to lead up to that. So I would definitely put that one Terminal Man on a mix of just that because I've already listened mm-hmm. to the whole album. I could just get that, ooh, that sweet little part. But like, yeah, I'm definitely going to listen to this album just so I can get to Terminal Man. Slip that in on the ox when you're on your next road trip. Yeah, essentially. I was like, yep, we're definitely listening to this. I will not be taking any questions. <laughs> no, just focus on the road. Yeah. It is interesting that both albums, I think, have such a strong closing statement. Mm-hmm. I that's probably just the design of a good album, honestly. Yeah. But I think that both really go out on probably their strongest note. You agree with me on Terminal Man? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Terminal Man is an amazing track to sit through mm-hmm. because not just the later guitar and synth coming in kind of out of nowhere, but like it feels like it starts to speed up and like lurch forward, mm-hmm. and everything kind of like is pulling you somewhere yeah there's this it starts to you know these synths start to grow in and more of that electronic landscape and then it just ends Mm -hmm. it's perfect yeah it's a perfect ending (laughs) it really is and so i'm so glad out of all the albums you could have chosen from you chose this one uh yeah you recognize the name that was was good apparently really good criteria (laughs) yeah i know only the best things ross so yeah another recommendation it's not again something i'm gonna put on heavy rotation like miles to midnight yeah yeah miles to midnight is one of those albums i'm gonna listen to enough that i get sick of and then like (laughs) a year later i'm like oh god uh why did i stop listening to this i agree this is not going to sound like a strong recommendation but it is i would listen Mm. to this album and even if you find yourself not enjoying it i would just make it to the end just make it through it once i think it's you know how there's some movies where people are like "Ah, you need to see it once and if you never sit through it again they can't blame you right like Mm -hmm. uh what's a basic example like requiem for a dream right oh yeah like that's worth watching once because it's a fantastic Mm -hmm. film but it's okay if you never want to watch it again you don't want to get your soul crushed (laughs) that much but you should at least experience it once Mm -hmm. that's how i feel about this album which i guess is i don't know maybe that's not accurate recommendation because i probably would listen to this again i mean yeah i think part of the pleasure you get from listening to music is to listen to something new and like certainly Mm -hmm. both these albums are very different from each other uh they kind of show the sort of the breadth of uh, dark jazz and dark ambient but solaris is just i mean you're gonna get a lot of different sounds (laughs) in yeah a relatively short period i mean each album is less than an hour long yeah yeah they're quick listen miles Midnight, I know, is on Spotify. You can also, you know, listen to it on Bandcamp site, but they're both, they're both just good. They're both real good. Well, you'll get some interesting new sounds to think about. So uh, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this discussion of two very interesting albums. Of course, we'll be going back to Dark Ambient. In the next episode, we're, of course, going back into the Vaporwave Mines. Yes. <laughs> Talk one of the more popular and one of the more numerous subgenres of vaporwave, Mallsoft. Mallsoft, it's not just a Muzak, there's a lot more to it. I'm quite eager to get to that. Yeah, that'll be a really nice discussion of uh, diving into some of the core values, I would say, of vaporwave. Mm-hmm. And it's also a very haunted genre because all malls are haunted by the specter of capitalism. Oh, shit. 
So, of course, you can find us on Twitter at Nightclerk Radio. You are at Ross Payton. Mm -hmm. I am at Burke McBurkinson. This is all in the show notes. Please be sure to rate review us on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast app you use. That really helps. And uh, tell your friends. If you like this episode, uh, be sure to share it on social media if you can. Uh, we appreciate uh, your comments and your likes and your subscriptions. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you and stay haunted.